0: So last week, in our chronological journey through the Gospels, we looked at a a sermon that I entitled, Justice and Love. We stayed in Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 54, and we learned about Jesus talking about a lamp and a light in verses 33 through 36, where we looked at the importance of filling our lives with the light of Jesus Christ, who is Alone able to cleanse our hearts. We also looked at true cleanliness from 37 through 41. And I'd ask the question there have you allowed Jesus Christ to cleanse your hearts? And finally, we closed out the teaching with Jesus giving six woes a so woe, um, condemnation that came against the religious rulers from Jesus. Six of these, and we know they're six because there were six woes, pretty easy. Woe to you, scribes. Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, lawyers. So six of them, where Jesus pronounced uh, these woes upon Israel's religious rulers, specifically the Pharisees, the scribes, and the lawyers that he mentioned in that text from verses 46 through 54. And at the very end of those woes, we discovered that Ultimately, the religious rulers of Israel were hindering people from coming to God. And I just reminded us of the importance of never wanting to hinder anyone from coming to Jesus. So as we get into Lesson 34, we're going to be looking at the Synoptic Gospels today. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus giving this first parable, the parable of the sower, This is actually a big transition in the ministry of Jesus, as we will discover as we go through the parables now, and we're going to get into the teachings of Jesus by parable, and so much so that the disciples would even ask Jesus, why change? What's up? And they actually ask, why do you speak to them in parables? So the disciples notice that something changed in the teaching style of Jesus, and they specifically ask him about it. And their question is good. And we get a lot out of the very first parable that Jesus gives about the parable of the sower. One, because he gives a parable. Number two, the disciples ask, and we get explanation about it. And number three, Jesus tells us what the parable means. And so that's so important. And it's key in understanding parables, especially when you look at the parables of Jesus as we find them in the synoptic gospels, especially that as meaning in one parable uh, is set in place, as we'll see in the parable of the sower, there are specific meanings that are derived from it that will more than likely carry into other parables where they use similar words and will have similar meanings. So this is really key for helping to understand parables. So it's a good one for us today to look at, to be reminded of. And I simply titled this, Jesus Begins Teaching in Parables. It's Lesson 34 of our chronological journey through the Gospels. And we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke all telling us about this so i pulled from matthew mark and luke for our three points the points being the parable of the sower we'll look at mark 4 verses 1 through 9 the purpose of parables from matthew 13 10 through 17 and the parable explained luke 8 11 through 15 so let's go ahead and get the context of jesus Presenting this parable from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. I'll read all nine verses. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got in the boats and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, A sower went out to sow and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no roots, it withered away. In verse seven, some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it out and it yielded no crop, but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increasing, increased and produced some 30 fold, some 60, some a 100. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. So we begin with verses 1 and 2 telling us of a great multitude that had gathered, so much so that the multitude was pressing in. Jesus got into a boat, and some have viewed this as Jesus kind of creating a natural amphitheater where he could teach from. He got into a boat, and I have to believe it was a pretty large boat. As Jesus sat and taught from the sea, Facing the multitude in this area, uh, north of the Sea of Galilee, it's pretty gradual uh, incline going there, so it really forms a nice natural amphitheater there. And perhaps to keep people from crushing in on him, as we learn from Mark 3, 9, where they were pressing in so strongly, he got into a boat at that time as well. But here he began to use the boat as a preaching platform. he's seated in the boat because it was customary for teachers during that day for the teachers to sit and the students, the pupils, to stand. I've always admired this, admired this. Um, I think it might be handy to try someday. You stand up. It might help you from not falling asleep in my teaching. If you do fall asleep, everyone will know. Um... But Jesus sat, they stood. Now, some believe that Jesus was just using the natural acoustics of the water to help carry his voice there in the Sea of Galilee. Like I said, in that specific area, in the northern area of the Sea of Galilee, there was a gradual incline. It's beautiful up there, and uh, it works perfect for this type of setting. And I believe that the creator of the universe would have known it. or two about acoustics, but there's also testimony of of God's Spirit enabling voices of preachers and evangelists to be heard over very large crowds, some numbering over thousands, without the use of microphone, without any kind of uh, recording devices they would record back in the olden days, they would write it out, transcribe it out, print it in the newspapers, Uh, That's how the Prince of Preacher Spurgeon uh, became so famous, not only in England, but here in the United States, and Moody, not only here in the United States, but over in England, because they would preach a message, they would put them in the newspapers, people would want to read, to hear what the preachers, the evangelists were saying. But Spurgeon, in his uh, book, Lectures to My Students, he said that if you're a man of small frame... you don't have much lung capacity his opinion was basically God's probably not called you into the ministry because you won't have the voice needed to project and he spoke to thousands so today we can be a man of small frame without perhaps lung capacity we have microphones to help us there but there were many so many that Jesus sat on a boat Teaching, And he taught by parables. And this, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus taught the truth of his father's word plainly to the people. But when the religious rulers began to reject his message in Mark 3, 6, specifically, it tells us, they went out to plot against him how they might destroy him. Jesus withdrew from them and he began to teach the people by parables. So a parable, and we pretty much, um, it's close to a direct translation from the Greek word. We get the word parable from. It means to place alongside or place beside, to throw or to lay beside another, to compare. And so basically, there are two types of parables in the Bible. First, we have a parable that is viewed as a short proverbial saying, like Mark 3:24, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. So that's a type of parable. It's not a, a long story, as we'll look at it with the parable of the sower, but a very one verse, kind of like a proverb. Luke six thirty six, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And so this qualifies as a type of parable. The second type of parable is a story of natural or human uh, situation used by Jesus to reveal spiritual truth to his audience. And here we find that Jesus often would begin parables by saying the kingdom of heaven is like... And so it kind of sometimes gives us a key as we read through with the parables. Jesus will often use those words. A kingdom of heaven is like. For us, when looking at the parables, don't try to find too many hidden meanings. Usually there's only one main thing that the Lord is trying to get apart or get across in a parable. And so you don't want to break it down too strongly. You just want to, what's he trying to get across to us? Keep it simple and it'll help you understand these. So usually one main point that Jesus is trying to drive home with the parables. So we find that he begins, behold, the sower went out to sow, as we've just read. And it happened as he sowed, some of the seed fell by the wayside where the birds came and devoured it. Some on stony ground where... It sprang up immediately, but it had no depth of soil and was scorched by the sun. Some fell by the, among the thorns. The thorns grew up, choked it out that there was no fruitfulness. And some fell on, fell on good ground. And the seed that fell on good ground yielded some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. So Jesus is going to explain this parable. I'll let Jesus do the explanation. And we'll look at that when we get in our third points. But he did begin with the people saying, listen. And he closed out the parable saying, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. So he's calling the people to pay attention. Now, they all had ears to hear, but it tells us that they were not Hearing with understanding. And that's what the Lord is wanting them to do. Ezekiel's call to ministry, we get a general understanding of Jesus' closing phrase He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Ezekiel 3, verse 27 says But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house. So there's the call to hear, and though everyone may physically hear the words being spoken, it's really talking about uh, having understanding, having spiritual understanding about whether. Ezekiel the watchman that God set over the house of Israel during his day giving warning to the children of Israel calling the people to hear the word of God being prophesied to them or the words of Jesus calling to the people to have ears that would hear with understanding of course he's obviously if they could hear physically they could hear the words but he was talking about that spiritual meaning of the words that he was speaking. Spiritually, that they would turn from their sin, that they would find forgiveness of sin, that for the most part, the people refused to hear the spiritual truths, to turn from their sins, and those who did so, ultimately, they would die in their sins. So it's interesting to me that Jesus used a similar phrase in the book of Revelation. Seven times, he would say something like, he who has an ear let him hear it may vary slightly but seven times he said this in the book of revelation but seven times when he said that in the book of revelation he was talking to the seven churches of Asia he was talking to the church here he's talking to both uh, believers and unbelievers but in the book of revelation he has a similar he who has ear, an ear let him hear he's talking to his church and quite often, even within the church, we do not have the spiritual ears that are in tune with the things of God. So, right now, here in this building, we are transmitting a radio signal that's going out. And in the back room, uh, the radio's probably on. And Dana's back there working the station for us right now, and she can hear. What's going on? She could probably hear me, the double echo going on, but the radio's playing in there. But it's playing. It's running all over in here. There's other stations as well. There's Internet signals flying back and forth. But if you have the right receiver, and if you can tune in for our radio station, 101.5 FM, WLGS, or if you're over on the east side, 99.9 FM, If you want to stream it, you can go to WLGS.org and you can stream the radio ministry through there. But if you have the right receiver, you can hear you're in tune. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing. If you're in tune with my father, having spiritual ears to receive and hear from me, that's what he's desiring from us. So the parable of the sower, we'll look at the parable, Jesus' explanation in point three, but in point two, the disciples, they were curious. They noticed a difference in the teaching style. So I just want to say this up front for those who are listening online that don't have my notes uh, listening through the radio. As I said, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all do the parable of the sower, record it for us, and you can find... The parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, in Matthew chapter 13, and in Luke chapter 8. So we're going to, we just looked at a bit of it from Mark chapter 4. Now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now we have the disciples questioning Jesus. And I actually chose Matthew 10 through 17 because uh, the gospel author recorded more information for us in Matthew's gospel than did Mark or Luke in this section. So I'm giving us a little bigger picture that Matthew recorded for us than Mark and Luke. Of course, we can look at Mark and Luke and find a little different information, but basically all saying the same thing. I'll read the context again Matthew 13, verse 10 through 17. And the disciples came to him. And asked, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from them. So just consider that they had Jesus Christ preaching the word of God to them plainly there at the beginning of his ministry, but because they were by large beginning to reject Jesus, he took away the plain speaking of his word. What an advantage they had, but now they heard the Lord teach, but it seemed to be more as a mystery, a parable given to them. So what they have, verse 12, will be taken away from him. Verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull, Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear, verse 17. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the disciples come to Jesus. Why? What's up, Lord? Why'd you change your teaching style here? Why do you speak in parables to them? They notice a difference in the teaching style of Jesus. And basically, Jesus explained the difference between believers and unbelievers. Two believers? It was given to them to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, verse 11. But to unbelievers, these mysteries would be hidden. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, Paul would explain, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known... Had they been able to see with their eyes, spiritually perceive what the Lord had presented to them, uh, to hear with their ears, spiritually hear with understanding the truth that the Lord was speaking to them. Jesus would not have been crucified, Paul was writing there. But we know that this is exactly how God had planned this out. It was necessary for the Lord to go to the cross that he might become an offering for our sins. So the people's minds, their hearts were veiled to the truth of the gospel. And that type of veiling comes in many forms. In our world today, we can find that humanism uh, perceives that through humanism, we'll be able to save humanity rather than God to save us. There are those who believe that Maybe the various religions of the world will be able to save, but all the religions of the world fall short of the truth of God who created the heavens and the earth because they fall short in either proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Savior of the world, or they distort the truth concerning Jesus Christ, who he is as Savior of the world. Today, over the last few years, we've heard a lot of people say, I believe in science. That's a new religion that people are standing upon. Across the street from my house, there is a Black Lives Matter sign that has been up for a couple of years, In the bullet points of that sign, there is a line that says science is real. Science is real. That is actually an affront against the belief in God that He created the heavens and the earth, and it chips away at the structure of our society. One author asserts this is an ideological science of man-made climate change, evolution, abortion, and then gets get this. And this was written in 2020, and we actually realize the truth behind this statement even more and more in 2022. I hate to date myself when I'm doing these messages, but I just did it. Uh, So he talked about man-made climate change that is happening right now. The uh, big people, or at least they think they're big people in this world, they're going to save the world from climate change, and they're going to do so by flying private jets over in Europe, meet together to talk about how they can take away All the little things that we do, which will never build up to one flight across Europe in a private jet, but we're the problem. They're talking about that right now. But listen to what this author said in the final point. He talked about man-made climate change, evolution, abortion. And they believe many believe that that issue of abortion and the overturn of Roe versus Wade is one of the reasons that the Democrats actually did well in this last election last week. Because we've had 50 years of that mindset in our society. 50 years of people not wanting to let it go. But the final point is that of gender gender fluidity following in its train. And that is such a big deal over the last year. And this was written two years ago. For true Christians, when studying science, economics, philosophy... We use God-given reason to understand the universe that's been created by God. But now science has been so distorted that it's getting its eyes off of God, looking for man-made answers and actually distorting the creation of God. So the inability for the people to not be able to see, to hear spiritually was, is rooted in the hardness of their hearts, which had grown dull toward the things of God. Jesus said, finally in verse 12, but to whoever has meant that his disciples, they would continue to see, to hear with understanding. They would continue to grow in their faith, while at the same time, through his parables, the unbelievers would no longer have the clarity of the gospel being preached to them. They had such an advantage at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he plainly taught the truth of his father's word to them. But they, when they closed their hearts off to Jesus, Jesus said, no long, longer will you get the plain truth of the gospel preached to you. It will be spiritually discerned. We find that that, that to this day is a difficulty for some people we see things plainly in Scripture. They look at the same verse and they just don't understand. They just don't get it because their spiritual eyes, their ears have been closed to these things. Jesus said in verses 13 through 15, I speak in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear. He goes on to talk about the prophecy of Isaiah where Isaiah said in Isaiah 44:18. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. So Jesus explained. He began teaching in parables because the people's eyes could not no longer perceive, their ears could not understand because their hearts had grown spiritually dull. The word of God tells us for those who are Unbelievers, our friends and family members, or strangers that we might talk to about Christ, they they see the same verse of Scripture. They're just blind to the truth that's there. We learn in First Corinthians 2, 14, one of the reasons why. But the natural man or woman does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them, nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. That part of their Triune makeup, God created in the beginning, God created man and the man, he created them, male and female, he created them. That part of their triune makeup, their physical, their mental, their spiritual being, that has been closed off. The spiritual understanding has been closed off to them. It's spiritually discerned. Their spirit is dull, so they cannot discern. Having ears to ear, Here they do not understand. Having eyes to see, they cannot perceive because those things have grown dull. Their ears are heavy. Their eyes are shut to the truth of God. God had Isaiah and other prophets give warning to Israel because Israel at this point was outside of the will of God. They were giving warning that if they did not turn it around, God would send their nation into captivity. And sometimes a king would rise up and help bring about partial repentance to the nation. But as soon as one good king would die off, usually one or two bad kings would rise up after them and the people would turn quickly away from the ways of the Lord. That teaches me a couple of things. It's important for us to take spiritual stand in our world today. You never know the spiritual stand that you... Take in your life, me as a preacher, me as a father, me as a grandfather, me as a friend, me as a mentor, whatever that might be, might be helping others to stand strong in their faith. If I were to fail or to die, which one day I will die, it could cause others to walk away from the faith. That's true for you as well. It's important for us in Israel. We see the example. Some say eight good kings over Judah. Others say that there were nine good kings. I'm kind of, it's, it's difficult to determine. There were over the, the northern kingdom. There were 20 kings. All of them were bad in the kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom. We have Saul and uh, Solomon and David and David's offspring. There was a number of 20 Eight or nine good, sometimes they began good and went bad. Sometimes they began bad and got good. And so sometimes it's hard to determine exactly. So if he was mostly bad and he became good at the very end, was he a good king or a mostly bad king that got good for a short period of his life? Makes it difficult, but the reforms that might turn around a nation, we could use that politically but also spiritually in our land. But we can do that as individuals in this land. The closer we walk with Jesus might be helping others to walk close to the Lord as well, helping them to build up faith. And actually, we help one another. It's good for us to come together, to worship together, to encourage one another, that we might, as the church is supposed to do, to build up one another. Ephesians 5 29 or 429, Um, 429, there's a worship band called Building 429. It's like, what a weird name. What's that mean? Well, Building 429, it was a youth group that the youth pastor saw that his youth group had a habit of cutting down one another. And he came in one day and said, Ephesians 4.29 is going to be our theme verse for our youth group. We are going to build up one another, not tear down one another. And four members of that youth group began playing music. And they've been doing music ever since, building 4.29, coming from Ephesians 4.29 to build up the body of Christ. That is what we are supposed to be doing. That's a bonus. I'm a musician. I know too much sometimes about musical things. Lily would say to me, why do you even know that? I'm a musician. Sometimes I know too much about musical things. Sadly, though, the people in Isaiah's day, the people in Jesus's day, now ultimately they would go into captivity. Israel went into captivity about 100 years after Isaiah. The... People of Jesus' day, many of them would die in their sin. They are just like the people of our nation today. They have eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear. And so do we. So Jesus said, verses 16 and 17, Blessed are your eyes, for they do see. Talking about perceiving spiritually. Blessed are your ears, for they do hear. Talking about perceiving spiritually. having that spiritual understanding. Surely I say to you that the prophets, the righteous men, desired to see what you were seeing and did not see it. Jesus now specifically with those words, talking to his disciples, they saw something unique. We have in the Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. And we have men like Abraham and Noah and Moses and Daniel and David looking forward spiritually through prophetic word of God, seeing that the Messiah was coming. They desired to see the coming Messiah. And Jesus said, they didn't get to see it, but you do. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm among you. We also have a different advantage than those before Jesus went to the cross. Now, some of the disciples immediately after Jesus went to the cross, uh, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's how it is for us, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which if you look at the Old Testament, there were some prophets, prophetists, that had the gifting of the Holy Spirit upon their lives, but it seems that it was never uh, continual or rarely a continual gift, and sometimes it was very selective For a few individuals, but for everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ, that it is the Spirit that helps us to believe in Jesus, that these things are spiritually discerned as believers in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings us into, helps to draw us into faith, but also fills us, overflows us, that we might uh, be disciples of Jesus Christ. The religious rulers, many of the people have rejected Jesus in his day, but it was not the case for his disciples. They had eyes that could see. They had ears that could hear. Paul would write in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19 saying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, that the Spirit of Wisdom, the Holy Spirit of God, would give our eyes, understanding that he would enlighten us, our ears, understanding that we would know the truth of the Word of God, that we would perceive. And what a wonderful thing it is to consider, knowing that the great prophets of God the righteous of the Old Testament, they desired, they longed to see the things that the disciples got to experience, but also the things that we get to experience as Christians in our day and age. Peter wrote in 1 Peter one ten through 12, saying, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating, when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Things which angels desire to look into. So Peter draws it out a little further. The prophets of old, they prophesy of the coming of Christ, the work of Christ, the salvation that we would gain through the work of Christ His death, burial, and resurrection. The righteous of the Old Testament, they long for the things that we get to experience. And he draws it out one step further and he says, Even the angels of God, they look into these things. They're curious about it as well. Believers in Jesus Christ. We are blessed because we see and we hear the spiritual truths that God has given us. And you know, it's one of the reasons we are students of the Bible. I love studying the Word of God. I'm always learning and finding new truths as I go through the Word of God. And sometimes it's because I'm gaining information as I study the Word of God. I'm able to tie more things together as my knowledge increases, just mentally I'm able to increase, tie things together. But other times the Lord shows me things that he just brings a revelation that I hadn't seen before. So we have spiritual understanding, but we should be praying, Lord, Reveal to us every time we sit down, Lord, just reveal your word to us. Help us to have understanding in your word. So let's close out in our third point, the parable explained. Here we're going to go to Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. I'll read the context. Beginning in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no roots who believe for a while in a time of temptation fall away. Verse 14, the ones who fell among the thorns and those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. In verse 15, the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, have a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus, no better explanation than Jesus himself, he identifies the seed as the word of God. And thus we can assume, and maybe it says so in Matthew or Mark or one of the other parables, that the sower here is God himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the seed is the word of God. That seed that is sown forth is God's word. Mark 4.14, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. This is the word of God. So when you come to other parables that talk about the seed, we instantly ask, is he talking about the word of God? When he introduces the seed, when they talk about birds. Do you know that in the Bible, most often when it talks about the birds, talking about the evil one, Satan, It often can be applied to that, so look at the context. Is he talking about Satan here? The Lord talks about birds here, relates them to Satan, even says so. We'll look at that in a moment. And so what you learn in this first parable can be tied over into other parables. Just keep that in mind. The seed is the word of God. It's good because it is the word of God. But the condition of the soil varies greatly. As Jesus talks about four different types of soil, but only a one in four for return one day there's going to be a day of reckoning by the lord who will require all those who have heard the word of god to give an account for the word that was sown into their hearts the first soil type is the wayside soil in luke 8:12 those by the wayside are ones who hear and when the devil comes He takes away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. So the wayside soil talks about this hard path used by people, the beasts of burdens that usually went around the fields. And uh, they were so hard packed that they were incapable of germinating seed. In fact, the seed would just lay there and the birds would come and snatch them away. Hearts, in comparison, Of people who hear the word of God, their hearts are so hard. Once the seed is sown, the word of God is sown. The wicked one, Satan, comes and snatches the seed away. It doesn't even have a chance to germinate. By combining the three gospels of this account, we find two basic things happen with the seed on the wayside soil. First, the birds came and took away the seed. In Matthew's account, the birds are referred to as the wicked one. In Luke's account, they are called the devil. Here in Mark's account, uh, Jesus plainly calls them Satan. Satan is always working to snatch away the seed of God's word from the heart of an individual. Second, the seed was trampled down by people. And so first the birds came, snatched it away, and then the people came and trampled it down. Have you ever had the phrase, heard the phrase, man, they just walked all over me? Or maybe you say to someone, hey man, don't let them walk all over you like that. A lot of people have been trampled down in this world. And as a result, their hearts have become hardened toward the Lord because of things that other people have done to them. And Satan takes advantage of that hardened heart and he will continue to snatch away the word of God before it has a chance to germinate. But I love it that God's grace is bigger than Satan's ability to snatch. And it could be that a word is sown. I've said this many times, and I don't know what this is now, but years ago they did a survey that it takes at least seven times for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be presented to someone before they come to salvation. They have to hear the truth of God's word at least seven times before they get saved. You can be the seventh person to present the word of God. They've rejected six other times. You could do it seven times, and they reject you six times. But finally, some condition changed, and no longer is that heart as hard as it had once been, and the seed begins to germinate. But for those hardened hearts, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Usually you won't find wayside soil people in church unless... There's a funeral, a wedding, it's Mother's Day, or maybe Christmas or Easter. Father's Day, for some reason, don't make that list too often. They'll come for mom, not for dad. I protest, it's unfair. (laughs) But that's kind of how it is. You will not find. Last time we had a bunch of wayside people here at the church had a funeral here, someone that I knew. His nephew died. The place was packed. I spent the next day picking up a jar full of cigarette butts in the parking lot. Took a picture of it, sent it to my friend, and said, look at this. I just learned this last year. They had a kegger behind the church. I didn't know that. I would have been furious. Um, So I was mad about cigarette butts. They had a kegger and was partying on in the back. That was wayside people. They were here. They didn't want to be here. And they were here. Wayside people. The stony soil. Luke eight thirteen. But one the ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So the first thing we notice is that there's life but no depth of soil. So no depth of soil when temptation, tribulation comes. Jesus points out that they quickly fall away. So we learn three basic things about the stony soil believer. First, they receive the word with gladness. Many believe that the seed that lands in the good soil now, here's something that you might disagree with me. I kind of ponder this. I'm just going to throw it out there. Many believe that there was only one true believer in the parable of the sower, the seed that was sown on the good soil. But the word here says that they received the word with gladness. The Greek word is lambano. It means to take up, to accept. Literally, to take. They received the word with gladness. They they they've accepted the word. And quite often with the stony or thorny soil types, this might better describe the condition of many people in the church today. So first of all, they receive the word with gladness. Secondly, they have no root in themselves. They receive the word in gladness, but they have no root in themselves. It speaks about their lack of spiritual depth in the individual's life. Israel we had the privilege Lily and I to visit there in Israel others have as well it rem- reminded me a lot of California um, very dry deserted type place arid especially a lot of the regions under there a lot of limestone um, in the north there was a volcanic eruption you know eons ago but there's all these big boulders everywhere if they want to plant a field, the first thing you have to do is get all this black basalt boulders off the land that they can even plant. And then you go to southern Israel, there's a lot of limestone that's just above or just below the soil. And so what can happen is that can create um, soil conditions where seeds might germinate quickly, but because there's no depth of soil, when the sun comes, even though life sprang up, It quickly withers away. It dries up because it has no depth of soil. The third, tribulation or persecution. So that relating to the sun, but relating to those uh, stony soil believers, without depth of soil, the plant cannot endure in the scorching sun. Without depth in our relationship with Jesus Christ, We will not endure when persecution and tribulation comes. Do you know that church attendance is lower now than when it was before the 15 days to slow the spread? A lot less people are going to church now than just two plus years ago. Why? Well, some just got comfortable watching video. I'll just stay home. Sorry, had to do that. (laughs) It's important for us to come together. We need one another. But there's many who have just stopped altogether. When tribulation, persecution comes, they will easily fall by the wayside. They'll burn up. Jesus said in Matthew thirteen twenty one, these trouble arise because of the word, because of the word. It's a testing of one's faith. Therefore, the only way to stand times of testing is to have a depth in our relationship with Jesus Christ, a depth in our knowledge of the word of God. The thorny soil, very similar, but... Um, here the depth of soil isn't the issue it's the weeds and the thorns that grow up around them that becomes an issue verse 14 the one that fell among the thorns they sprung up they had life and then he goes on Jesus explaining this says when they have heard they go out and they are choked with cares riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity so the situation they have depth of soil here That's not the issue. The sun's not going to burn them out. It's the weeds and the thorns that become the issue. And Jesus put it into three categories. The cares, the riches, and the pleasure of this life. So the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life. And sadly, once again, this describes a lot of people in churches today. When this happens, when we put our wants and desires before Jesus, we find that that begins to choke out our relationship with Jesus Christ. And a good example in the Bible of the cares of this life can be seen with two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus and his disciples came over to supper one day. And uh, Lazarus, Mary and Martha were all there. But Martha was the one who was in the kitchen getting ready for dinner. She had her brother to worry about. Mary to worry about, that's two mouths to feed. Herself, that's three mouths to feed. Jesus, that's four mouths to feed. How many disciples did he have? Twelve disciples, that's 16 mouths to feed. I don't know if it was more than that or not, but that's a pretty big party. She didn't have a gas range or an electric stove to cook on. it was more challenging. I saw it when I was in Africa. It was more challenging. The meat was so risky. Some of the meat we ate was boiled for 12 hours before we had dinner. We rarely cook our food for 12 hours, but they had to. It was a little more challenging than that. And Martha came to Jesus finally in Luke 10, 42, 40 through 42, saying, Lord, do you not care about that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. And Jesus responded to Martha saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from us. And I believe in our world today that sometimes we can be worried and troubled about many things. and the cares of this world, like Martha, we must learn to choose the good part like Mary and to leave the cares at the feet of Jesus where we find Mary in this uh, story. It's the deceitfulness of riches that causes people to believe that true happiness can come from success or wealth, the Greek word that's translated as deceitfulness here uh, is taken from a root that can be that can mean delusion. It's a delusion, the deceitfulness of riches. I think as we see the economy in the United States crash around us, right now we have a government that tells us we're not in recession. So, since the Great Depression, I wrote a paper on this, so I have a little bit of knowledge on this. I'm not talking about what's going on right now, but since the Great Depression, there have been 13 recessions here in the United States. Since the Great Depression, my parents were born in that era, in the 1929, uh, 1930s. That was a really long time then. But, The classification of a recession was two consecutive quarters where inflation is on the rise. Two consecutive quarters. We've been living to more than two now. Or now they're they're happy when you're breaking even. Hey, we broke even. We're still at 8.2. So if you take a quarter and its cost is rising 8% every quarter, that's going to add up pretty fast. That's what's happening right now. As our economy is crashing around us, this inflation continues to rise, we discover that we have been sold, we're being sold a delusion. But reality is hard to face. <laughs> we had some campaigning just a week ago saying crime's not on the rise. And we watch cities burn. A few years ago, it was mostly peaceful protests where the newscaster was saying those words, it's mostly peaceful here, and there was a fire right behind them. It's a delusion, or at least they try. They say it's mostly peaceful. I don't know what that fire is all about. Ask Kenosha about mostly peaceful protests. And regarding the pleasures of life, the word pleasure from the Greek, it has a meaning which is sweet or pleasant, means to gratify oneself, and to gratify either by the natural or sinful desire. So a man who came to church here many years ago, he told me after he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he said basically faith in Jesus Christ wrecked his master plan that he had for his life because he had plotted out his life. He knew at what age, what kind of car he wanted to be driving, what kind of home or cost of home he wanted to be living in, what kind of job or position he wanted to have in life. And he came into faith in Jesus Christ and he said, I didn't care about any of that stuff anymore. It doesn't matter. So the Lord just might wreck your master plan. But let me tell you this, that the master... Has a better plan for you than that you could ever come up with luke twenty one thirty four through thirty six says but take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the cares of this life, and the day that will come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare to all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape those things which will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So finally, the good soil, verse 15. But the one that fell on the good soil, the good ground, are those who heard the word of God with a noble and good heart. Keep it and bear fruit with patience. I think that final two words is very important, with patience. Have patience, have patience, Still be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember, God has patience too. So, learned it at a VBS many years ago, it stuck in my head forever. <laughs> we need to have patience. And maybe you have to sing that song to yourself every once in a while. Fruitfulness comes not by allowing Satan to snatch away God's word from our hearts, like the wayside soil not because we're shadow believers that have no depth of soil, but that we're willing to dig deep into the Word of God to build up our faith, that we must allow Jesus to be our weed control man, our maintenance man. Lord, just keep weeding those things out of my life so that the cures of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures of this life will not choke out our fruitfulness, And we need to understand that even though we do all these things, if we back off. Have you ever grown a garden or flowers and you finish weeding? And the very next day you see some weeds that you missed or a week later, you think, didn't I just do this last week? What's going on here? That's how it is spiritually, too. You can't back off. They're always there ready to attack. What we need to do is to stay attached to Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, verses one and two. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away—the weeding process. Every branch that bears fruits, He prunes that weeding pr- process again, that it may bear more fruits. Finally, if you abide in me, John 15:4. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And those who are planted in fruit-bearing soil are those who continually abide in Jesus Christ. And with patience, fruit will come. And I pray, Father, that would be the case for us today. That with patience, fruit would come. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with us. We don't know, Lord, the condition of all the hearts that's with us, listening on the radio, watching through video or online right now. And they may be at one of those areas, Lord, of wayside soil, of um, stony soil, of thorny soil, or the good soil. Maybe, Lord, we've been in good soil. Lord, we've been digging deep, but we haven't seen fruit. Help us to have the patience that we need to endure in times of struggle. Our Lord, if it's those who are in the thorny soil, Lord, our prayer to you today is come and and do the needful weeding in our lives, the pruning that is needed, that is necessary, that we might have fruit. For on stony soil, Lord, transplant it to the good soil, that we can have depth of soil. And if we're in that hard pack, may the Spirit of your God, Lord, pick up that seed and bring it to the good soil. It could be, Lord, that someone has rejected the truth of your word for years now, but today you're speaking to their heart afresh. I pray today, Lord, that give your heart to you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.